Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. Hello. Well, I can't believe that we're back here again, but hopefully it is just for this one week. Uh, I'm bringing you just the message today as we continue our Alpha series, today titled, Why and How Do I Read the Bible? When I was in my early 20s, I was a retail buyer and was sent to China for two weeks on a buying trip. I was there to visit factories and trade fairs. Knowing communist China and their disdain for Christianity... I really struggled with what to do, you know, whether I should take a Bible with me or not. Knowing my schedule with days beginning at 6am to get to trade fairs when they opened and there all day until 6pm travelling back to the hotel and putting orders in until 8 or 10 at night, then going out for tea, I knew that my time would be very uh, sparse. You know, I was there for work. So... I understood that time would be short. And so when you couple that along with customs and getting in and moving around China, I chose not to take one with me. Nicky Gumbel recounts this story from when he was in his early 20s. My father was 49 when he got married. So I think I was around that age of 21 when he was about 73 when he told me that he wanted to go and see Russia before he died. At that time, it was the Soviet Union. And I had recently become a Christian, and I knew that it was very hard to be a Christian in Russia. There were very few churches that, that weren't banned, and Bibles were pretty much disallowed. And it was very hard to get hold of a Bible in Russia. So I thought, well, this is an opportunity to take some Bibles into Russia. I'll smuggle some Bibles into Russia. So I wrote to an organisation which I knew smuggled Bibles and I said, I'm going into Russia. Here's some money. Please, could you send me some Bibles and I'd like to take them to Russia with me. And I got a reply which said, so sorry, it's illegal to take Bibles into Russia. We can't supply you with them and we recommend that you don't take any. That was the official reply. The following day, on the doorstep, there was this brown package uh, with Russian Bibles in it. So feeling like James Bond 007, we set off and I thought, right, 
I've got to give these to people who are real Christians. So I went to one of the very few churches that was allowed and I knew there'd be lots of spies there. So I looked for somebody who I thought looked like a genuine Christian. And I saw this man who was in his 60s and he had a radiant face. I followed him out of church. I followed him to a totally isolated spot and I pulled out of my jacket this whole Russian Bible on very thin paper and I handed it to him. His face was just a picture. He took out of his pocket a New Testament that was totally threadbare. It had been read over and over again. It was probably 100 years old. Lots of the pages were missing. When he saw a whole Russian Bible, he was so excited. He was jumping up and down with joy. He didn't speak a word of English. I didn't speak a word of Russian, but we were hugging each other and just celebrating there on the streets. What a wonderful story. You know, I guess the question though is, why was he so excited? For many people today, they think a Bible... That's so dull. It's boring. It's kind of full of contradictions. It's, it's just a rule book. It's of no relevance to my life in the 21st century. So why was he so excited? Do you know, the Bible is the most popular book in the world. It's the most, successfully, uh, the, the most successful literary creation of all time. Every year... Over 100 million Bibles are sold or given away. So it's the bestseller every year. It was the bestseller last year. It's the bestseller every single year. In fact, practically every week the Bible is the bestseller. If it was put into the bestseller list, every week it would be the Bible. That's why they don't put it in. It would be so boring. What's the bestseller book this week? The Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. It's the most popular book in the world. And it's the most powerful book in the world. One former prime minister described the Bible as like high explosive. Reading the Bible, it changed my life. It's also the most precious book in the world. The psalmist describes the words of God as being more precious than gold. The Queen of England at her coronation was handed a copy of the Bible with these words. We present you with this book, the most valuable thing which this world affords. Why? Well, Jesus said, people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4.4. 4. In other words, Jesus says this, material things alone don't satisfy even the best human relationships don't ultimately satisfy. There's always this, what you might call a, a spiritual hunger, which can only be satisfied by something spiritual. And Jesus says that that, in the, that, that is the words that come out of God's mouth. And the primary way in which God communicates with us is through this book. This one right here. God has spoken. It's his revelation. That's the first point. God has spoken. 
to Revelation. Sometimes people will say, if there's a God, why doesn't he show himself to us? Why doesn't he reveal himself? And the answer is, he has. God has revealed himself, first of all, in creation. The fact that we're here. It was wonderful to hear of Lyle's testimony of what brought him to that moment of of faith in Jesus Christ at our small group this week. I really appreciated that. I encourage you, talk to other people and find out when that moment was for them. But the fact that there's, there's rather something rather than nothing is brilliant. Creation speaks volumes of God. The fact that this universe is so amazing and so finely tuned to life is, is just incredible and we thank our Creator for that. The fact that there is hunger in every human heart that searches after God. But supremely, God has revealed Himself in a person. We've looked at that. He's revealed Himself in Jesus. That's the ultimate revelation of God. But how do we know about Jesus? Well, we, know, we only know about Jesus because of this book. The New Testament, of course, is all about Jesus. And the Old Testament, actually, when you look at it through the lens of Jesus, is also about Jesus. So science is the exploration of how God has revealed himself in creation. That's why science is so amazing and so exciting. And theology is the exploration of how God has revealed himself in Jesus in the Bible. So there should be no conflict between science and faith. Albert Einstein, one of the greatest scientists of all time, said this, a legitimate conflict between science and religion cannot exist. Religion without science is blind and science without religion is lame. I would maybe catch a different word than religion. I'd I'd put Jesus in there. But we need both. Science answers how and when questions. The Bible answers who and why questions. And the Bible is inspired by God. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. All scripture is inspired by God in 2 Timothy 3.16. To put it very simply, this is an oversimplification, but you could put it like this. The Bible claims to be the word of God. Here's an example All scripture is inspired by God. It seems to be the word of God. When you read it, it's kind of got a ring of truth. And then it proves to be the word of God. If you put it into practice, you find that really is God. This is God. God has spoken. Pope Francis is the first official document. Uh, in the first official document that he's produced as Pope, Evangeli Gordium, the joy of the gospel, says this about the Bible. He says, We do not blindly seek God or wait for him to speak to us first, for God has already spoken and there is nothing further that we need to know which has not been revealed to us. Let us receive the sublime treasure of the revealed word. All scripture is God breathed. That's the literal translation of the word inspired by God. Of course, there there were human authors, 
Over a period of 1,600 years, there were at least 40 authors. There were kings, poor people, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, historians, doctors. They wrote different types of literature, such as history, poetry, prophecy, and letters. So it is 100%. This book is 100%. It has human authors. But it claims to be 100% inspired by God. So how can that be? Well, St. Paul's Cathedral was built by Sir Christopher Wren, the greatest English architect of his time. He started at the age of 43 and in 1675 and for 36 years, the cathedral was built under one architect. It was completed in 1711 when Christopher Wren was 79 years of age. So Christopher Wren built St. Paul's Cathedral, but actually he didn't lay a single stone. There were stonemasons, carpenters, builders, many people involved over a long period of time, but Sir Christopher Wren was the inspiration behind it all. So it is with the Bible. There are many different writers, one architect, one inspiration behind it all, God himself. That doesn't mean to say there are no difficulties. If you've ever tried reading the Bible, in particular the Old Testament, you'd have come across things and you say, ah, this is shocking. I mean, just read Judges like we went through last year. There's some shocking things there. There are moral difficulties. There are historical difficulties. There are apparent contradictions. There are all kinds of stuff. And you say, how can this be inspired by God? It's a bit like suffering and the love of God. To be a Christian, you have to believe that God loves us. That's the heart of what Christianity is about, the love of God. But then you look at the world and you see there's a massive amount of suffering. How can you hold the love of God and the suffering of the world? How can you hold together the inspiration and the stuff that we read? It's not easy. But what I've found is it's, it's a bit like a crossword puzzle. You start with the clues and sometimes across one you just can't answer. But you don't stop, you move on to the next clue and maybe that's a bit easier. And then you start to fill in a number of the clues and, and that gives you the letters that you need to, to help you understand the more difficult ones. And I've found it like that, it's like that with the Bible. As I've wrestled with this stuff over the years, I've begun to understand it more and more. It's not that the difficulties don't stay. There's still things in the Bible that I'm struggling with, but I would encourage you to hold on, to believe that it's inspired by God and to wrestle with the difficulties. And always remember that Jesus is the interpretive key. If it doesn't fit with Jesus, we have to say, well, how are we going to interpret this? Because Jesus is supreme love. And we know that he is the supreme revelation of God. And if you want to know what God is like, he is like Jesus. God has revealed himself to us. And so it's 100% inspired and it's authoritative. Paul goes on to say this, 
All scripture is inspired by God, God breathed, and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. That was from the NLT. In other words, it's our authority for what we believe and how we live. Jesus summed it up as being God loves you. Love God. Love your neighbor. But then it's all full of lots of practical wisdom, advice and and guidelines for how we live our lives. It gives us boundaries. Sometimes people say, oh, it's a rule book. I I really don't want a rule book. That That will take away my freedom. Surely if I follow this, you know, I'll lose my freedom. But actually, we all need boundaries. I'm quite a musical person. I've been playing some form of instrument since I was about five years old. Piano, violin, guitar, bass guitar, French horn, bit of trumpet even. I've played all of these to varying degrees of proficiency. Some I've sort of, you know, learned it for a year or two and then just stayed at that level. You know, can't, can't seem to move on. As for the types of music I enjoy, though, I like just about anything. I, I, I can struggle with opera and rap. Um, they're probably the two outliers for me. But apart from that, if it's good music, I'll enjoy it. And playing music with, some, with other people is something I really enjoy, particularly in a band or an orchestra. And playing well for an audience is a great thrill. However, just before rehearsal begins, in most bands and orchestras, everyone's warming up and playing their instrument all at the same time. Now, in a concert, all of the musicians are all playing the instrument at the same time. Before rehearsal, all the musicians are playing the instrument at the same time, but there is a very different outcome. See, before rehearsal, there is a cacophony of sound that's almost offensive. Yet when the conductor brings everyone together, the ensemble tunes and then is led playing the same piece at the same time, that same ensemble that just sounded terrible can make beautiful music. Musicians are always free to play anything they want. There is no difference to before rehearsal than during a rehearsal or concert. Musicians can always choose to play what they want. But it's only when musicians play within the rules that beautiful music is made. When a conductor and composer sets up these rules, like the rules of speed, time signature, the same key, complementary arrangements and dynamics and volume, all of these rules come together to assist the musicians to create wonderful music. I guess it would be like a bunch of kids trying to play football without an umpire or boundaries or goals. The kids and musicians are free to play whatever whatever and however they want. But my question is this, are they more free when there is no one in charge and there are no rules or were they actually more free when there was someone in charge and there were some boundaries, some rules? And actually, true freedom comes 
when we know that God is in control and there are boundaries. But you, you know, if children grow up without boundaries, they're insecure, they're unhappy. And it's the same with us. Actually, the boundaries are given out of love. God didn't say, you shall not murder because he wanted to ruin our fun. You know, he didn't say don't commit adultery because he's a a spoil sport. He doesn't want people to get hurt. One man said, I don't read the Bible because it interferes with my work. I said, well, what's your work? He said, I'm a pickpocket. This is God's love for us. He's given us this book. It's inspired by God. It's authoritative. It's the word of God. God has spoken. And secondly, this, God speaks. That's relationship. The Bible is like a love letter from God. When you get a letter from someone you love, you cherish that letter. Not because of the letter, because the letter itself is nothing in a way. It's because of the person who wrote it. And it's the same with the Bible. This book in itself is nothing. Really, in itself, it's nothing. But because of the author, and because the author wants to be in a relationship with you, it is highly significant. He wants to speak to you. That's what is precious. Jesus said this, You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. He says, this book's all about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. John 5, 39 to 40. Because the whole point of this book is so that you and I can be friends of Jesus in a relationship with him. That's the purpose of the book. The book itself is only a means to an end. Now, we have a Nissan X-Trail. It's a few years old. It's doing okay for us. But supposing we were to get a new Nissan car and it arrived and there was a manual inside and I got out the manual. I went, wow, what a great book this is. And I started studying it, underlying it, and felt tip pens, the bits that really interested me, you know, tyre pressure, steering. I thought, wow, this is such a great book. And you know, we should learn this by heart. I learned certain sections by heart. Maybe, maybe we, could, we could set some of it to music. You know, maybe Pauline could, could write some music for it and, and we could sing some of this stuff. And, you know, maybe other people love the Nissan manual as much as I do. Maybe there's a Nissan club I could join and talk to other people about my love for this manual. You know, I, I, and obviously Nissan, well, that's a Japanese company. Um, perhaps I should learn Japanese so I can study it in the original language. You'd say, if, if I was like that, you'd say, well, that's not what it's all about. The point of the manual is to understand and drive the car. The point of this book is to have a relationship with Jesus. This is how faith comes. We looked at before at this verse. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God, Romans 10, 17. If you say, I want to have faith, read this book. 
In particular, I would recommend reading John's gospel because John says at the end of his gospel, he says this, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life. In other words, he says, the whole point that I've written this gospel is so that you can have faith and through believing you can have life. Earl Smith had far too much money. He was a cousin of Fred Smith who started Federal Express and Earl had far, far too much money. By the age of 30, he'd taken so many drugs that he'd ended up in hospital really sick from the drugs. While he was in hospital, someone came to visit him and gave him a New Testament, the Jesus bit. And he thought, this is great. It was very thin paper, perfect for rolling joints. And he rolled his way through Matthew, Mark and Luke. And eventually he got to John's gospel. Then he started reading it. And through reading John's gospel, he came to believe in Jesus. He had an encounter with Jesus which totally changed his life. He was being looked after by a psychologist called Tommy. She was a very beautiful woman, a model, highly intelligent, very charming. But she was mystified because he was Earl, who was this drug addict, and suddenly he had this peace, this joy, this love. She said, I don't understand it. She said, you're a total mess, yet you seem to be so at peace. She said, I've got everything, but I'm totally lacking in any meaning or purpose in my life. So he led her to faith in Christ and then he married her. It was through reading John's gospel that he came to believe. Over my years as a Christian, I've, I've read this book practically every day. Not always in book form, often now on my phone. I even get it read to me on an app sometimes for something different every now and then. Not because I feel I have to, but because I love it. It's just like, why do I have breakfast every day? Because I like breakfast. I don't want to miss breakfast. It's, it's, it's the same with reading the Bible. I read it because I don't want to miss it. To me, it's, it's like spiritual food for the day. I read something that Rick Warren wrote about the Bible, and he says this, Reading the Bible generates life. It produces change. It heals hurts. It builds character. It transforms circumstances. It imparts joy. It overcomes adversity. It defeats temptation. It infuses hope. It releases power. It cleanses the mind. So how do we hear God speak to us through the Bible? Well, may I suggest making a plan? If you want to be intentional and actually accomplish something, Making a plan is usually a pretty good way about going about it. See, time is our most valuable possession. We can get more money, but we can't get more time. May I suggest setting aside a time, maybe 15 minutes a day, and then a place. You know, Jesus often withdrew to a solitary place. 
For me, it's often in my office. But for you, it might be the kitchen table or your study or, or even outside in nature. You may even take a coffee with you or even your breakfast. When I'm there, I'm praying that God will speak to me each day. And then find a pattern for reading the Bible. You know, there's, there's really heaps of different ways you can do this. You can literally just pick up a book and open it and go from there. In the past, I've used a few different plans. One of those that I thoroughly enjoyed when I did it was the Bible in a year guide, where every day you read a portion of the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm and Proverb. And my favourite proverb is this, Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one is chasing them. That's why I don't go jogging. Uh, seriously, though, I have regularly used other guides that even have devotions that lead my thoughts. Vision put out their free daily word and get that delivered or on, on their app. Um, others use every day with Jesus or, or daily bread. There, there are countless resources and there's now even apps that will guide you in this like the Bible in a Year app you can get on your phone. Wonderful resources for today's modern tech-savvy person. And here's the challenge, you know. If you start using that app tomorrow, the Bible in a Year app tomorrow, in a year's time, you will have read the whole Bible. And that, whether you're a Christian or not, is an amazing thing to do. And it's a life-changing experience. Nikki shares this story. My father was 49 when he got married and I was 25 when he died on the 21st of January 1981. I'd become a Christian a few years earlier and obviously when my father died, I was devastated because I loved him and I missed him and I, and I still do. He was an amazing man, but at the time, I was really worried about him and, you know, what had happened to him and the fact that, well, did he have a faith? He'd always described himself as an agnostic. He was a man of few words and I didn't really know and, and I was very disturbed by this. It was 10 days later that I was praying and I was just saying, I was just asking God, Lord, please show me something about him. And I read this verse in Romans 10, which was the passage I was reading for the day. Romans 10, 13, it says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, your father called on my name on the name of the Lord, and he's saved. At that moment, my wife Pippa came into the room and she said, I've been reading the book of Acts and I think I've got a verse for your father. She said, Acts 2.21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That verse only comes twice in the New Testament. I'd read it in one passage, she'd read it in another. Three days later, we went to a small group and we were studying a passage, Romans 10, particularly verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But such is my lack of faith and inability to hear God, I was still worrying about it the following morning and I was practicing as a barrister. I was off to Woolwich Magistrates Court and I'd, I'll never forget getting off the train at Woolwich Station and I was, I was still thinking about it. It was going around my head and I looked up and there was this great big billboard which said, everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13. 
I remember telling a friend this story, what had happened, and he said, do you think the Lord may be trying to speak to you? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think the Lord may be trying to speak to you? And if so, will you let him? And my, I encourage you to find something that works for you when it comes to reading the Bible. And make sure that you do it out of love, not out of guilt. Do it out of, out of desire, not out of you know, pressure or, or, or feeling like, oh, I've got to do this. Do it because you genuinely enjoy it and want to do it. And do what works for you. And if right now you're struggling to, to get into the Bible with regularity and, 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 and doing it often, why not try a guide, try a tool, try a help? Or... Meet up with a friend and do it with a friend. Uh, I really encourage you that to hear from God, then we have to be in the Word, reading His Scriptures. And, and I may encourage you to do that daily. Find that time, find that place, set aside that moment where you can hear from God. And if you have not ever read the Bible through the whole Bible, why not do that one in a year thing? or even just get it to read it to you on the app. There's a great Gideon's Bible app that will read the Bible to you. And so there's heaps of different ways that you can access the Scriptures and that you can be blessed by them. And if you have read the Bible and you're still not sure where you stand before the Lord, just remember this verse, Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That can be your story too. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would indeed uh, each have a growing love for the Scriptures and growing love for you. May we be blessed in this time of lockdown that we now have more time together to actually read the Word. May we make best use of that. But Lord, we do pray that this would end very soon. And so uh, I do ask that you would protect us, particularly our mental health and our well-being. And I ask that uh, you would um, bring uh, clarity to, to each person here of where we stand before you and that, Lord, we would indeed call upon your name and know with great certainty that as we've done that, we are indeed saved. And so may we develop this growing relationship with you, each one of us. We're all still growing in our relationship with you. May we do that through a love for your word and may we do that daily. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, blessings to everyone. Thank you for coming to church today. And uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll see you live in person this coming Sunday next week. See you later. Bye.